This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Welcome to Body Talk. I'm David Lasondak, structural integrator and fascist specialist at the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And my guest today is a primary care physician, integrative internist, author, co-editor with me of the book Fascia Function and Medical Applications and my friend, Dr. <laughs> Angeli Aki. Angeli, thank you for being here today. David, what an honor to be on your podcast. And thank you for making me your co-editor of Fascia Function and Medical Applications. I learned so much from you. Yeah, well, I learned I learned a lot from working with you also, and uh, it was my absolute pleasure. And I'm looking forward to learning more from you today, specifically about hormones. Now, I know when most people hear the term hormone, they think estrogen or testosterone, but there's a lot more to hormones than just that, right? Yeah, so... Basically, I think of hormones as foundational. When they're imbalanced, your hormone symphony, you feel well, your brain's good, your body physique is good, everything's good when we talk about balanced sex steroid hormones. But hormones are actually much more than estrogen for women and testosterone for men. To me, actually, the most important hormone out there is uh, those produced by the adrenal glands, cortisol and DHEA because survival and stress trump reproduction. And yes, so, we yeah, we if you are in survival mode, for example, the um, Olympic athletes, all those young women, they're in survival mode. They're, they may be overtraining. They have no body fat. They don't have menstrual periods because their body is that. in trying to cope mode. Same with uh, women and men. If they're overstressed, their fertility goes down. Men can actually even have erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Women can have infertility and lose their periods. And so to me, the, the, the main hormone that we have to think about in terms of hormone balance is actually the adrenal glands. And so so DHEA is produced by the adrenal glands. And the ovaries. Yes. Okay. I did. So, I did. I did not know that. So DHEA, that's, that's the hormone that mellows you out. Am I right about that? Well, it's a, it's, it's a precursor androgen or male hormone for both men and women, okay. but it also helps you cope. So both DHEA and cortisol are essential for, um, for living yeah, not, and not just surviving. So they're, they're, they're the hormones that are released when there's chronic stress. So let's say, God forbid, a gunman enter this room. Uh, the the adrenal medulla, the inside of the adrenal glands would fire epinephrine and norepinephrine, right? Those are the fight or flight hormones acutely, but chronically under chronic stress, which is an epidemic, especially now during this public health emergency pandemic, chronic stress, you get elevations in cortisol and DHEA until you start failing. Then you go uh, into what colloquially termed adrenal fatigue. Okay, because I, I see people ask uh, about DHEA supplements, yes. and I just made assumptions about what, the, I've never looked into it, I, nutraceuticals are not uh, my area of expertise, so, so DHEA, what's its relationship to cortisol? 
Yeah, so they're both made in the outer part of the adrenals called the adrenal cortex, uh, and both are released under more chronic stress. Uh, DHEA in women preferentially floats down the testosterone pathway, and we women have 10% of the guy's testosterone. So for women, we need to have male hormones that include DHEA flowing down to testosterone. We need that. We need that to have good libido, be able to make decisions, and have good lean body mass and have energy. So a lot of times, um, many people forget that women need testosterone in the right amounts. Uh, too much testosterone in women is, often is associated with a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, where you get hair, you know, it seems PCOS is an epidemic in the United States as well, where a lot of women are getting uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. You've seen these women, they're morbidly obese, they have hirsutism or hair and, and cystic acne. That's a condition of too much testosterone. So the, the hormones need to be in symphony. It needs to be balanced against each other. So, so we women have about 10% of your testosterone and you men should have about 10% of our estrogen. That was going to be, that was going to be my next question. So, so in a, in a healthy balanced hormonal system or symphony, uh, what, what does, what does the estrogen do for men? What does the testosterone do for women? So in estro for estrogen in men, it's really important uh, for cardiovascular health. So when estrogen, estrogen increases the happy, healthy, you want high cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol. So HDL, I consider the garbage trucks to take the bad cholesterol out of your vessels into the liver to have bowel movements and get them out of your body. So low HDL, low good cholesterol is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And if you drive a man's estrogen too low, you can actually increase their cardiovascular risk. Okay. And this would be determined by a stress test or a blood test. How would I know if I was deficient? In estrogen. It's a, okay. So you just measure estrogen levels. So, mm -hmm. and they should be balanced against your male testosterone. So the only difference between testosterone and estrogen is one little enzyme. Do you believe it? One enzyme difference between it's like testosterone the y chromosome and estrogen. Of enzymes? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's called the aromatase. Okay. Aromatase enzyme. Mm -hmm. When we're managing male hormones, we need to make sure that uh, men do not have too much there's a flip side. You can have too much estrogen and that's often associated with obesity. Mm -hmm. And what, what happens with that is the testosterone gets converted to estrogen as a man's weight goes up and it looks like you get male breasts. You have smaller yeah. testicles and a big waist. And that is consistent with metabolic syndrome, andropause, and so as a hormone balancing doctor, I look at the balance uh, between testosterone and estrogen in both men and women. Now, you mentioned a term there I want to get back to, which was andropause, which is not a gender neutral dog, but actually for years it was called male menopause, but now it's called andropause. And uh, you know, we talk about having midlife crises, us men, but it's a little more interesting than that, isn't it? 
Yes. So men, as opposed to women who have alarm bells that everybody knows. Yeah, with, it's kind of a hard, it, I mean, know. it varies in terms of when women go into menopause, <laughs> uh, but they do, and there's no doubt about it when they do, but, what you're, but it's a little more nebulous when a man goes into andropause. That's right, because with women, it's change in menstrual cycles and hot flashes, and it's very, very obvious signs and symptoms that a woman's going through menopause. But with men, it could be as simple as um, just having le less energy, poor memory, less vitality. They work out. They don't make the gains. They see the waist growing. Uh, and, and later, they can have erectile dysfunction. But there are problems, even if you look at male fertility in general, though, because our, we think it's our, our environment that's so toxic, we are having more and more men um, have infertility in terms of, you know, the gonads of the testicles in men make testosterone. Well, because of the environmental toxins out there, we are statistically, men are having less fertility. And my friend is writing a book about the extinction of men based on this, where you literally see sperm counts dropping and you see younger and younger men have infertility and erectile dysfunction. So there's only so much we can do about the environment other than packing up and moving somewhere that's, that's less, uh, less toxic, but what can we be doing? to minimize these sorts of things, particularly for younger people, because there's no reason younger people should be having these kinds of issues. So for young men, maintain a, a ideal body weight. Don't let the weight go up because insulin actually in, in, it causes aromatase inhibition, meaning your testosterone will be converted to female um, hormone and you don't want that. So fasting, intermittent fasting is something everybody could do. And I know it's all the rage, but it is true that we are overfed as a society and it causes uh, having less than ideal body weight causes hormonal disruption. As you said, there's a lot about intermittent fasting these days, but from your perspective, what's the optimal way to do it? It has to be individualized for the person, whatever it takes to drop their insulin as low as possible for a few hours. For me personally, the easiest way I think for myself and my lifestyle for intermittent fasting is timed feeding, which is for me, it's about 12 to seven every day. Mm -hmm. um, other people, you can do other styles of intermittent fasting. Like you could do like Tuesday and Thursday, you can um, go stick with 500 calories a day and the other days, a reasonable diet. So there's different kind of forms of intermittent fasting. What I try to do with my patients is I try to customize it to their lifestyle with the final common pathway being to drop the insulin as low as possible um, to move into a, uh, uh, to burn fat. So like that's really the, the key in why intermittent fasting works is how it changes your insulin. Yes. Yes. Okay. High insulin is so toxic to so many pathways, uh, not only sex hormones, but it makes you gain belly fat and belly fat is toxic to the rest of your hormonal symphony. Um, so yeah, but it, it's a lot, it's insulin. So it's a lot more complex. Like you can actually going back to survival mode with the adrenal glands you can have insulin resistance just from either mentally being overstressed or physiologically being overstressed from um, having a food sensitivity or some or something causing cortisols or adrenal hormones to be high will cause insulin resistance. So then your body's circulating high insulin, 
which is toxic metabolically, and to your sex steroid hormone pathways, as I had talked about. That sounds really complicated. To put it simply, you want to eat a whole food diet, at mm-hmm. least 10, 10 kind of vegetables, some, some low glycemic fruits per day mm-hmm. to make sure that your insulin is not going so high. You want to make sure you're not so overstressed. So 17 minutes twice a day or as what the studies are showing about meditation, prayer, Qigong, yoga, whatever it takes to bring your, your emotional mm-hmm. states down. So you're saying 17 minutes twice a day. Mm-hmm. That's okay, what the that's, studies are showing. Okay, that's that, that that's really good. And of course, the twenty minutes of meditation has been around for a while. So yeah. has don't eat anything after eight o'clock at night, which has been that that old saw has been around. It is for, true forever. And I, I myself try to do that, but I'm also one of those people who. I function better with breakfast and I'm sure you have patients. I have patients like, oh, I don't eat breakfast. I don't, you know, it's like my body doesn't react well to breakfast. I know if I don't have breakfast, I, I couldn't wait till 12 o'clock to eat. I would not be functioning optimally. Yeah. So you might be a twice a day, five, I mean, twice a week, 500 calorie guy where mm-hmm. twice a week, you're really limiting your calories. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I tend to limit my calories more on days when I'm working more. Oh, yeah, I just find like if I if I do that, I just seem to have a an easier pace of it. Uh, but I don't know how you know. Am I fooling myself? Am I not fooling myself? I don't know. But you know, if I'm seeing eight patients in a day, fifty minute hours, I don't want to eat too heavy that day. Oh, I agree. The key is to make sure that you stay very well hydrated. And you know, with all our work with fascia, I think that interstitial fluid has to have balanced electrolytes. So when I'm doing that. I'm actually purposely hydrating and using, I love this product called Tri-Salts, uh, mm-hmm. which has uh, magnesium bicarbonate and potassium bicarbonate and calcium bicarbonate to alkalinize my pH. And so I, I'm not so starving at the end of the day, even if I'm fasting, as long as I have good hydration. I can't eat too much too when I'm seeing patients because it just slows me down. Yeah, I, but you know, here's, here's, the, here's the part of the COVID time that makes it so difficult. I'm not drinking as much water because I'm wearing a mask all the time. Oh, yeah. I Do you find that with you? Yeah, well, I put myself on a quota. I literally, when I'm in mm-hmm. clinic, I have a, a big thermos and I'm not allowed okay. to go home until it's all gone <laughs> with balanced electrolytes. And I actually use a product uh, called Mighty Maca Greens. So maca is an adrenal adaptogen that Inca Indians used prior to going to battle. Mm-hmm. So it you, it doesn't increase the insulin level and it just keeps you steady state and your brain good. Because everything we do to ourselves, um, I, I heard this lecture once about why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. We want, all of us want that state of relaxed attention. Yeah, that's a relaxed good way to put it. Yep. attention. Mm-hmm. And whatever we're doing, we're yoga, or I'm sipping this decaf coffee as I'm talking to you, or I'm trying to stay hydrated, or whatever we do, or even people who use alcohol to relax, whatever, they're trying to achieve this place you could that of relaxed attention. And so that's, I try to be mindful, since I'm an integrative doctor, is yes. am I in that state of relaxed attention? Because for me personally, that's where I'm most productive and able to give give to the world and, and create like we are creating all those, you know, our articles and everything about in the book. And mm-hmm. I love being in relaxed attention. It's a wonderful state. Yeah. I, that's one good thing about my profession is it engenders being in that state of relaxed attention. Now the world will often try to keep you from being in that state of relaxed attention. 
so it's it's always a constant um I don't want to say constant battle because that's not the framing that I want, but it's a constant practice yes. to find how to remain in that state of relaxed attention and also figure out what your triggers are. So mm -hmm. for example, here's one eight years ago, and then you can tell me what this did for my hormones. Eight years ago, I took my email off my phone. Wow. <laughs> And I have not regretted it. Now, if I want to go look at email on my phone, I can, but I actually need to go out on the web, log into my Gmail and look at it. I don't actually have the little mail app that has that constant red dot with the number on it telling me how many emails I haven't looked at yet or the prompt coming in telling me that I have a new one in. So it gives me that Pavlov's dog response of having to, you know, run and hope it's a really cool email and I get a hit of dopamine. That really helped my life out a lot. And I have no intention to restore email on my phone unless it's browser-based. Yeah, I think that was a great move in terms of being in the present moment for yourself and being able to be mindful and being present here without mm -hmm. worrying that, oh my gosh, I'm really behind. Um, yeah, I remember, um, when I was a intern, we were so happy to receive our beepers. Now this was in the nineties. So it would be the kind that everybody could hear. And I felt really, really important. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I tell my husband that, you know, I actually, I can't wait someday. I'm going to retire and I'm going to throw all that in the ocean and just be, <laughs> and have an old fashioned, uh, flip phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that unfortunately, um, the youth are actually like that. They're, they're these are you know the youth were brought up with uh, they, they are digital natives and they're yeah. used to always being on call. But why? With the adrenal glands, they're always at heightened alert since they're kids because they're waiting for the next whatever whatever hit that is. And I don't think mm -hmm. it's necessary at all. And it's actually hard for, to bring them down. There's so many. It seems to be my friend was saying that she was at lunch with her seventh grader. And everyone had to get up to get their riddle in, uh, to go to the nurse's station to get the riddle in. And what is this? Uh, it's not a riddle in. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not. It's not a riddle in deficiency. It's an overstimulation that's going on through all this digital. Yeah, and it's not as you said. It's not absolutely necessary. Yeah, there is a problem with that constant need to be on. And what I often find myself saying is, just because you can contact me instantly doesn't mean I have to respond instantly. And, and then culturally we wind up uh, evolving into this series of hot takes and we don't actually take a step back to think and give a measured response. We just react and that can't be good for your glands and your hormones and your adrenaline. Again, just going back to the adrenals, like you're, it literally is, like always being on call, that's not a healthy state. I think that when you look at, I don't know if you read that book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Yes, yes, Robert Sapolsky, yes, I have. Yeah, so we were meant to engage 100%, but disengage. And mm -hmm. I think that in this culture we're in now with a digital society, there's no real disengagement unless it's very intentional. Yeah, yeah, and there are times, I, honestly, where we crave distraction. And, and sometimes that's good, but I, I find myself thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't look it up right away. Remember when we used to just have a question and wonder about it? 
And now we can just go to the portable Oracle of Delphi and look it up and, <laughs> and, and get an answer. It may not be the right answer, but we'll get an answer. Uh, so they're, they're, they're useful tools, but they, they shouldn't control us. We should control them, but it's, it's easier said than done. Um, but to bring it back to our, our hormone symphony, and I don't know where, I don't know what section the cell phone plays in the orchestra. The adrenal. So basically okay. the override of all, so in my model uh, mm -hmm. that was published in 2011, it's available as a Kindle, a paperback and an audible. Now it's an audible illustrated symphonic music. Uh, you have four sections to this hormone symphony. You've got the sex steroid hormones, which I consider the strings like beautiful music on mm -hmm. the violin. Strings, that's estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Mm -hmm. You have the second section, which I call the wind, like uh, energy. So that's insulin and glucose metabolism. Okay, that's where insulin is. You have the third section called the thyroid, the metabostat the rhythm of life without an appropriate thyroid, obviously you're, you're tired, your brain's not working, you're doughy, you're, you have low, low blood, low blood sugar, low blood pressure. So thyroid, that's the third section. I called it the percussion section, like it's a rhythm. And the fourth section is like the brass, that's vitamin D, which was promoted to a hormone about the year Pluto was demoted from a planet to a rock. I think right. that's why brass bands are so popular in Pittsburgh because we are notorious for being a place where it's cloudy all the time. So we're not getting mm. enough natural vitamin D here. And I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. Our the 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 brass section of our symphony has always kicked ass and it's always put out its own recordings. And we have at least three or four other brass bands in a city of you know a quarter of wow. a million people. Yeah. I'll have to listen to that. <laughs> so they interact with themselves and they interact with each other, these hormones. For example, as I showed you earlier, as I talked about earlier, that obese men, that's the wind section, too much insulin, mm -hmm. can have low testosterone, right? So right, they're, they're right. interacting with each other. Also, for example, low vitamin D can impair the insulin's ability to work at, as well as your immune system, which is a different topic, but anyway, Vitamin D is a hormone. It's not just a vitamin. You need it for all the other parts of the um, hormone symphony to work. And of course, if the thyroid's not working, you're going to gain weight, which will cause the insulin to go high, which will change the sex hormones, as we had said. So they all are interacting with each other. And as a basic biological principle for cells in general, it's the Goldilocks principle for this. Right. You don't want too much. You don't want too little. It's just right. And that's why you need a good guide or you need a hormone Sherpa, if you prefer, <laughs> because finding your Goldilocks point isn't something that's going to happen immediately, right? It's going to take a little yeah. trial and error, correct? Yes, and it has to be customized, especially with women. I mean, <laughs> women's in different times and phases of their hormone life, there's different needs. And so you, especially transitioning perimenopause and menopause, classically in the early perimenopausal transition, you have too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. And so as that progresses, you have to be with that person to keep it balanced and coach her how to decrease the adrenal stress, cortisol, DHEA, and then sometimes even give her 
for example, DHEA to support her adrenal stress and have her make a little testosterone. So it's, it's like cooking. I mean, not too much, not too little. (laughs) Let me cook. Let me help you here. But really we have to ask the patient, what do you want? What is your main concern? Is it that you look at your husband as your brother now? I mean, you have no desire for, for intimacy anymore. Is it that you're a lawyer and you can't make a decision anymore? I mean, what is it for you? And then go after that and balance the hormones accordingly. So somebody comes to see you and tells you what it is that they want. Where do you start as a physician? What type of vitals do you look at? Do you run blood tests? Do you run scans? What would be the procedure if I came to you as a patient and said, okay, I want to do this, this, and this? What would happen next? I rely heavily on subjective metrics that are validated. And for men, I refer everyone to an open access metric called the ADAM score, A-D-A-M. And we should put that as a reference. But basically, this this little score has seven questions will tell me whether or not um, you has a sensitivity of uh, very high and a specificity of at least 75% that you might have low testosterone. And it has questions like... um, you get tired more easily, you need to take a nap, uh, you have erectile dysfunction. I mean, it has questions where, mm-hmm. where if it's positive, then I have to rule out low T in my guys. Okay. And it can be positive for things like undiagnosed depression or drug side effect, but I, that's where I actually start by talking to the patient and having them fill out subjective questionnaires. So for men, it's the Adam score, A-D-A-M, and you could just Google it. It's really Mm -hmm. easy. And for women, I use something called the hormone balance inventory. Okay. Again, it's it's open access. And that Mm -hmm. has, and it's a metric where if it's abnormal, then we have to take the deeper dive. I and when I first started hormone management over 20 years ago, it used to be based on serum numbers and um, managing hormones based on numbers, but as I've been doing this longer, the serum numbers don't necessarily correlate with with what's happening at the tissue level. Interesting. Yeah. And so I always start with the patient and and telling me what they're experiencing. And I use these metrics after an intervention might be a simple intervention, like let's start intermittent fasting or let's add progesterone cream at bedtime or something simple. Mm -hmm. And then then how long would you follow it? Follow up. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate our working on the fascia textbook because things actually started clicking for me. And you had me, you had me and Dr. Kathleen O'Neill Smith write the chapter on hormones and fascia. So that was quite an eye opener for me, but I really, cause it would always be six to eight weeks before they come back and, and let's see again, let's check again, how you're doing subjectively. And depending on that, I'll order serum levels Sometimes I'll order saliva tests and that's more consistent with what's happening at the interstitial fluid level. But I always talk to the patient and get these metrics first and follow them. Um, I've been managing hormones for a lot of people for a long time now. And sometimes sometimes I'm just following the metrics, the hormone balance inventories for women. Um, well, mostly with women though, I add a couple um, uh, metrics for mood. Uh, one's called the PHQ-9, which we can give you the link. 
Okay. And then that's for depression and then the GAD score for anxiety because Ooh. hormones and mental state are tied together. They're very tied together. For men, same thing. I'll follow those two metrics as well. And an overall metric for just generally questioning how you're doing in life. And this is a good pearl for everybody, I think. There's um, the WHO5, W-H-O-5, which is the World Health Organization. It's a measure for well-being. And it's a score from zero to 25 with five questions. Like, I got up and I was energetic. I slept well. I mean, just five easy questions. And it really does put a pulse on your overall state of well-being. So 21 to 25, and you're thriving. In the teens, you're surviving. And under 13, you have to rule out major depression or some flatlined reason. So I actually, the WHO5, I could tell everybody to check their WHO5. It's a pulse on your overall well-being and your hormone symphony, right? right. Um, every every other Friday, I do mine. And actually, I've, I learned about it at a continuing medical education on doctor burnout about eight years ah, ago okay mm-hmm. and i did mine i was in the audience i did mine that's a little alarm mine mine was like 13 which is <laughs> borderline flatline well, like, the problem shoot. is when you're driven when you're a well, driven practitioner well, no, no, I was, craft, yeah so i'm like shoot i'm hearing this lecture on burnout and i just need to like slow down and then and then and then i was so relieved like the next day i spiked the temperature and got the flu and so, because I was like, shoot, I'm really burnt out. So I actually keep, I check mine every other Friday morning and I try to keep mine between at least 20, but thriving is 21 to 25. So I, I would actually refer everyone to look Google WHO-5, World Health Organization. Five and we'll put that, we'll put that in the show notes too. So it's so, what I like about the way you do this, Angelie, is that you you're actually giving the patient more tools to monitor their own state in a way that they can be certain of. I actually have my patients monitor with the different color pen and send it in. Like I'll give them the paper metric or and and so I could see how they're doing subjectively. And you know, I, but you know what I tell you, David, people don't have to guess anymore. My team for Christmas get gave me this aura ring. O-U-R-A. Are you familiar with this no. um, biometric device? Mm-hmm. It's um, It measures this for me. Now I don't even have to do my, me- I know, and it's. I've been using it for three months straight and I know it's correct. It actually gives you a measure of your sleep and it actually says if you're, how much REM you have, if you disrupted sleep. Um, it gives you a measure of heart rate variability. So it's so, like an organic iPhone or organic, organic Apple watch. Yeah, no, it's really cool. But then mm-hmm. what I look at is the readiness score. It gives you a net readiness score in the morning. And it mm-hmm. depends on that. What my days work? work like. How does it work? It, well, you, well, it's on my pinky and mm-hmm. it has the, this, uh, these sensors in there and it talks to my iPhone. And, oh, cool. And it's given me, honestly, it's given me more permission than anything to slow down when I need to slow down. Because if my readiness score is not above 90, I know I'm, I'm overtasked and I need to slow down or, mm-hmm. or put some time to self-care in my schedule. Um, but it's also been useful, according to my friends in functional medicine, they actually see, for example, Dr. Jeff Bland, who's a guru, father of functional medicine, uh, did an Instagram saying his aura ring told him 
uh, the day after he got the mRNA vaccine, that his body was stressed for three days. He went from a readiness score of the, his normal in the 90s mm-hmm. down to like 60s for, for like the first two days. And then by th- day three or four, it went back up. But really, so, and then there've been reports on how people have seen it here first before they got COVID, where their actually body looked stressed on this wow. uh, biometric. Okay, I, I, I think I know what I'm doing as soon as we get off uh, recording this show here, uh, because that's, you know, we I want to be really clear, audience. She said uh, aura ring, which is O-U-R-A, not aura ring like your lucky astrology mood watch, okay? We're not talking talking about wearable medical uh, devices. Yeah, biometric uh, devices. Well, you don't have to guess. No, you you don't. And more, it's empowering people to put their health in their own hands and collaborate with yes. their practitioners as opposed to just going to the experts and that's, yeah, that's yeah. really what we need more of shoot i uh, i've been using this so much for people who tell me they don't sleep and if you want to if you want to go into adrenal overstress like right away someone's balanced and you want to deplete them right away you just take away their sleep and their adrenal glands will go into overstress and so i think the aura ring uh, as a biometric device for monitoring sleep and help partnering with me to help mo- me monitor your sleep is indispensable because it actually shows how many minutes of uh, sleep you got. Then it will say, was it the light sleep, the deep sleep, the REM sleep? And then it'll show the disruptions. Like you could literally email this to your healthcare professional and they can look at it. And it's a lot less than a sleep, a formal sleep study. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's fantastic. It's really been helpful. Yeah, and you wear it all the time, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I wear it all the time, except every three days I have to charge it for a couple mm-hmm. hours. Okay. But yeah, I was a little skeptical um, when I first got it. I'm like, oh, it's too complex. The tech is too complex, but it really kind of just does its own thing. And then I look at it and it helps me literally to plan my day, what I'm going to do. Because if it's below nine, if my readiness score is below 90, I have to lighten my schedule. Or I have to make sure I'm doing my, my, um, uh, the exercise or cancel unnecessary things. It really has been very directive for me, especially as an integrative internist. I want to be consistent with my own messaging to my patients. Absolutely. If we don't walk our walk, we're not very credible as uh, practitioners, are we? No. And you remember my, my son was in a car accident in January. And you yeah. can actually, if when I look at the history of the aura ring, I was doing great with my heart rate variability, which is a balance of a vagal tone, a parasympathetic to sympathetic tone. My HRV was great. I get the call on that Sunday afternoon and my HRV plummets and it doesn't, and it plummets for a whole month, David. It took me a what? month. Yes. Wow. To get my heart rate variability back to optimal, which it is. It took me a long time. And can you imagine that's the effect of mommy stress? Right. Mommy stress. Thank God he's okay. But that week of getting up there, helping him, doing progressive therapies, and then me trying to recover and be a doctor, it literally took a whole month. And it's all documented there how my heart rate variability just went like this and stayed like that for a month. And it's now recovered, but it took me a month. And so I think the message, you know, it's quantifying what I've always messaged, like be nice to yourself. If you've had acute trauma, lighten your schedule for a few weeks after, 
And mm-hmm. it has a lot of implications on the immune system. And that could be another podcast talking about. Oh, I think we're going to have to have you back, Angeli, because it's, it's, we're almost out of time. And I feel like we're just getting started. This is always a great place to be with a guest. Thank you. You're welcome. We will definitely have to have you back on the show very, very soon. And um, I'm sure we're going to be getting questions in from the audience, too. So we could maybe do a whole Q&A show. Uh, that could be kind of fun. So that sounds great. Yeah. Angelique, thanks for your time today. And I know we'll be talking to you again very, very soon. Thanks, Dave. It's always a pleasure working with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Body Talk. Any questions, questions for me, questions for our guest, send me an email, bodytalkdavid at gmail.com, or you can use the Anchor app and send me a voice memo. How cool is that? I'm David Lasondak. Join me next week when we continue to explore your inner universe on Body Talk. <laughs>